Studies show that people with a lot of clutter around their homes have a higher than average rate of anxiety, depression, social isolation, and ADHD-like symptoms. But here's what bugs me about these studies. They assume that all these symptoms are caused by clutter, and therefore, if you clean up the clutter, you won't be depressed and stuck anymore. You'll be happier, more focused, more connected to other people. And honestly, there's some truth to this. But that doesn't mean that clutter is the main cause of those problems. I'm gonna put a bold hypothesis out here, and that's that clutter is just one more symptom of trauma alongside depression, anxiety, isolation, and so on. But it's not the direct cause of those symptoms. Now we know that trauma affects people neurologically, and that means your brain, your physiology, your feelings, and your behavior patterns. Now trauma can make people compulsive, it can fill your thinking with stressful thoughts, it can make you feel immobilized and unproductive. It does something to your neurology that is quite often expressed as cluttering behaviors. Accumulating stuff that you don't need and piling it up around your living space or working space, intending to get organized at some point in the future, but not having the inner power to do that. And I think cluttering behavior is a trauma-driven version of something normal and natural that we call nesting behavior. And nesting, that's setting up your home space, making it comfortable and warm and orderly and well-stocked, which is a good and natural instinct. But like all good instincts, trauma can push this one over the line into something over the top. <laughs> and that's what cluttering is, that good instinct at an amplified level that makes it not good, that is caused by and causes a feeling of overwhelm and inability to get organized or to take action by cleaning up your stuff. So you have too much food and some of it is rotting, or too many jackets or giant stacks of papers you've been meaning to go through, or you can't find your toolbox because you left it lying around and then other stuff got piled up on top of it, that kind of thing. So that's what I mean when I say I have my own hypothesis and it kind of goes against the research. Because while researchers assume that the symptoms that go along with clutter are the cause of clutter, I believe that clutter is more like a fellow symptom. Trauma causes all of them. Depression, anxiety, lack of mental focus, and clutter. Does that feel true to you? Well, wherever it comes from. I think these symptoms interact with each other, and that's why when you're healing trauma, I don't believe that you have to always start with the root cause of the trauma. You can start anywhere in your symptoms where you feel enough inner power to take some action. So are you ready to throw out the old vegetables in the fridge and clean out those icky drawers? That's a great place to start. Do you have a couple of hours available to organize all your unsorted papers into separate stacks of, you know, trash, file, and do something about? <laughs> That's also a great idea. And you know what? Both of those actions would almost certainly lift your mood and improve your ability to focus. Decluttering is a powerful re-regulation exercise with very good fringe benefits of like your bills get paid. But in my experience, you're always going to need to be healing your dysregulation symptoms to even find that inner power to do any decluttering at all. Because that's the problem, right? 
You know you should declutter, but you have a lack of power to do it. Not doing it makes all the other problems in your life a little worse. Now, hoarding is like a separate thing, and it's harder to change, and I'm not really talking about that here today, but in that one, it's, it's uh, not only is there a lack of power, but there can also be a distortion in the thinking that it needs to be done. It just seems like, no, everything as it is is terribly important. So I'm distinguishing clutter as like, no, you agree it's a problem. I wish I didn't have all this stuff piled up. I can't find my keys. So you agree it's a problem. It's a lack of power. So getting that inner power moving and accessing it, that's how you're going to be able to declutter. And with that power moving, activated in you, you'll also find that your, your emotions get lighter, your mind is more focused, you feel calmer, and you feel more open to new experiences and letting people into your life. I mean, have you ever had that? It kind of goes together. Clutter is a huge problem for a lot of people who had childhood trauma. And it's not just the physical space and belongings that could be called clutter, right? People with CPTSD also experience mental clutter too much on your mind, all in a jumble, can't focus or read situations because it's like a, you know, the bag of cats in there. And then there's emotional clutter where your feelings are popping up everywhere. Some of them from so long ago, you don't even know where they're coming from, but you have a debilitating reaction to them that's totally getting in your way. And there's also relationship clutter where the people are in your life, they're a mix of people who are good to have in your life and people who maybe should not be in your life anymore. And finally, there's time clutter, where you're overbooked, you're not prioritizing, you're getting swept away in things that feel urgent and ignoring things that are actually important. And I'm gonna talk about all of these because they're all common with childhood PTSD, and they can all improve when you have the power to change even one of them. When you learn to detect and heal neurological dysregulation that's caused by trauma, this in turn causes so many other trauma symptoms, including the ones that trigger your tendency to stay cluttered, whether it's your calendar, your file cabinet, you know, the floor of your car, whatever, having space and order. I mean, doesn't that sound good? <laughs> when you can practice noticing your neurological dysregulation, which is a common trauma symptom, and learning to master re-regulation, the clutter of all kinds starts to settle down. And there's a wonderful feeling of peace and possibility that can come into your life. And that's another source where that well, where your inner power comes from, it begins to fill up because there's peace, there's visual space around you, and there's time. So let's start with physical clutter. And I'm talking about belongings just strewn around your physical space, in your house, in your yard, in your car, in the place where you work. And it's visually chaotic. It's full of things that you don't actually use or need, and that makes it hard to find what you do need. Like, do you keep huge boxes or racks of multiple sizes of clothes in case you lose weight or gain weight, even though the clothes that don't fit now are old and out of style? And do the clothes that fit you right now have a good place to live in a closet with enough hangers or enough drawer space where clothes are clean and ready to wear, right? Am I nailing you about something? This multiple sizes of clothes is totally a thing with people who struggle with their weight that you never really know like what size, you know, sometimes it'll come down for a while, it goes back up. And that's one of the beautiful things when order comes into your life around food, you know, and it's, it can be a long time coming. It goes, this is the thing that goes along with trauma quite a lot, like sort of clutter of the food, clutter of, 
of what you choose to eat and what you have available to yourself. But then that has this effect on clothes and it can mean lots of boxes and cramming in closets. And then a weird like whole like segments of your closet that are sort of shame portions, clothes you can't get into. And what you can do with clothes that don't fit right now is you can put them away. It's okay to put them away, but put them in a way in a, you know, a stored fashion and not just piled up everywhere and trying to figure it out. And every time you try something that's the wrong size, you feel bad about yourself. Like why do that to yourself? Do you pick things up at thrift stores or left on the street? Like where I live in Berkeley, that's customary. Like even in fancy neighborhoods, when people have something that still has use, they put it out on the street. And so yesterday or the day before I was taking a walk and somebody had put out a bunch of, um, they put out like a plastic thing with different silverware. There must've been 30 knives, 30 forks, like the whole thing. And actually a year ago, we were really short. We, we have a lot of like big potlucks and things and we were short on having enough silverware. And so I bought some, I got some at like Costco. It was cheap. We have abundant silverware, but it's like this leftover feeling like we don't have enough. I picked it up off the street and I'm holding it because I have adult sons, right? And I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe as they go out on their own, they're going to need silverware. I don't know. But my husband's like, you did it again. You did it again. I grew up very poor and we often didn't have enough. And it's really hard for me to walk past stuff that's on the street being given away for free without thinking, I don't need this right now, but I could. And what if I did? And I should have this now. And then it becomes clutter. And so you know, I'm lucky that I have this giant garage that I can put stuff that I don't really use in. But every year or six months, I have to go in there and start like putting stuff back out on the street. And it's almost like a funny thing in my family. It's a tendency I have that's definitely a legacy of some trauma from when I was little. So it's actually like a um, healthy, nice feeling for me when I gather up stuff and I do put it back out on the street. Like it makes me feel good that somebody else is going to use it. It always gets taken again by some, uh, some other poor sap who has this thing that I have, like, I don't know, I might need a hundred pieces of silverware in the future. <laughs> Or um, it can also be nice to donate stuff. You can donate it like to Goodwill. And if the stuff is decent, um, you know, you get to add up the math with fair market value. And that's a tax deduction if you itemize your taxes. So one thing that holds people up is the feeling that these things could be sold. So, you know, we have some broken bikes in the garage and we think, oh, well, we should sell them. You know, if we fixed them up, they would be worth X and it would cost this much to fix them and nobody ever fixes them. That's what it is. So if you are in a situation where you have the power to sell things, I mean, I know people with really bustling businesses on Craigslist or eBay, you know, selling things and maybe they go around and they actually like collect stuff productively and sell them and make some money that way. Well, that's lovely. If you're not somebody who has the level of organization and power to do that, it would be better to give away the broken bike or to donate it. And so a rule of thumb is like, it just depends on how much money you have. But let's say that you could replace something for $20 and you're not using it right now, go ahead and give it away. Because if you can replace it for $20, you know, if you have a little more money, you could put the line at like $50. If you could replace this thing for $50, but you're not using it right now, go ahead. So a bike is more than that, right? A used bike is, I don't know, $500 or something. That's a lot of money. And, but so then it's time to use a productivity method to write down some things you're actually going to deal with and give yourself a timeline. You go, I'm going to get this bike repaired and the bike repair costs whatever, $60. And then you put it on Craigslist and sell it for whatever, a few hundred dollars. And then you have the money and that's, 
that's satisfying and I would like everybody to have that money. Everybody's happy, you know, somebody has a bike and the bike is fixed and everything's going really well. But it's just like realistically, can you do that? So another arrangement you can do is to partner up with somebody who is willing to help you and you split the proceeds from these endeavors. And sometimes people who, you know, they're looking for a little extra work, they would be happy to do this with you, but you still have to put the effort out to make that arrangement with them. So I'm just saying, sometimes the best way to get rid of the clutter is to give it away. It it's still going to be valued by somebody. It's still going to be useful in the world. It's just that you're not going to have the cash. All right. So another thing, is your cupboard full of cans and containers of things that have been sitting there for more than a year. So cans do last a while. I understand. I was hungry a lot when I was growing up. We had times when we really did have nothing to eat. And so it's just been this tendency that started when I first started having my own money and my own place to live, I would way over buy food. And it was stuff I was never going to eat, but I just need, I loved the feeling of cupboards that were completely full and had stacks of things like that gave me this feeling of peace and security. But the fact of the matter is right now, I don't need to have all that food in the cupboard because I have some money and savings and I could go buy it at the store at any time. Now, if hard times befell me, like at the beginning of lockdown, when we all thought, oh my gosh, there's going to be these food shortages, we're all going to starve. You know, we were thinking, we're like, well, we live near a creek, we'll have water. And then I bought like cases and cases of tuna and chicken and green beans and corn and all this stuff that... Um, you know, we've barely made a dent in three years later. <laughs> and it's time for me to give some of it to the food pantry because it's good food and people will be glad to have it, but we just need to distribute it where it's actually needed and going to get eaten. Even cans have their sort of sell-by dates, right? So that's something I'm actually really looking forward to. And I'll have more shelf space. And even if the shelves sit empty, that's fine. I personally, because I get so dysregulated by visual clutter, like seeing a shelf that has a little space between items is actually very re-regulating for me and stimulates my imagination and my sense of being productive. It does. Do you have that? Do you have cars that don't work? God forbid, are they on the front yard? Well, I grew up like that and I was really embarrassed and ashamed about it. And it was just, you know, my parents were going through a lot. They did not have power to deal with it. But yes, there was a broken car on the front yard for years. There was a wall between the living room and the garage that had been broken through these bricks with a big jagged hole in it that was also there for years and that we used that for a doorway, turn the garage into a bedroom. But as a teenager, it took me a while to understand what was going on in my family was alcoholism. Alcoholism just sucks away all that tidying energy. And this clutter was everywhere in the house. There were thick layers of dust. There was rotten food. And it made me really ashamed for people to come home. And so <laughs> my husband had a car that didn't work. He went ahead and bought another one thinking he'd sell the old one. And then two years passed or more. Eventually he sold the car. So good news. He eventually sold the car, but it got covered with leaves. The neighbors began to complain. The city came and was putting tags on the car. And it was really this huge source of old shame. Well, there was like, no, I think, I think some of it was legitimate present day shame, but this old childhood thing about being like the most screwed up family on the block and the neighbors themselves were complaining. It was, um, yeah, it, <laughs> it was beyond even my standards. And that level of clutter to me, uh, just it made it feel like we, you know, it, we also were counting on having the money from that car and we had a plan for that money and we couldn't go forward with the plan for the money because we didn't have the money because we had this car and we kept paying registration on it. And that kind of thing was very demoralizing to me. 
A lot of my healing from complex PTSD has to do with getting um, competency and mastery over managing life in these areas that were not totally together when I was a kid. Like I always have car insurance. I always see the dentist every six months. Even when I was a single mom and it had to go on my third credit card, I took my kids to the dentist all the time. When I was a kid, I had very rotten teeth. And finally a relative stepped in and paid for me to have like huge amounts of dental work when I was like eight. I had to have like four crowns by the time I was eight because nobody was brushing my teeth, you know? And um, so that's a thing that's always helped me feel like life is okay, life is together. Now a car is a great example of something that's hard, you know, sometimes decluttering has this series of steps. And when you have CPTSD and you're having trouble holding your focus and a task involves a whole series of steps, right? That can be very hard for a person with CPTSD. And this is where having a whiteboard or a digital online, like I use this thing called Kanban flow. I'm always telling people K-A-N-B-A-N. And I make a list that I look at every day, multiple times, and I delete things that I complete or move them into a done column. But you can create a little task and then click and drag it to these different columns and name them what you want. You can color code them. And so the steps involved with selling a car, right? You have to get it like detailed and super clean. And then you have to make sure it runs and that the tires are full and you have to know where the keys are for all of this. And this is not always, you know, if you're very cluttered, knowing where the keys are is a problem. And if you don't have keys, you have to get the keys made. You have to have the paperwork and the title ready to sign over. So all of that can be so daunting and overwhelming that you can never do it. I know exactly why we get cluttered and why CPTSD is correlated with this. Like it's just too much if there's a lot, if you're very dysregulated. So this is another case of sometimes the easy way out is to donate. And obviously if your car has great value, you know, you still want the money. But uh, my family's done this before when we had a car that was kind of a clunker and we couldn't deal with all the steps, we donated it and they just come and take it and they take it even if you don't have the paperwork, even if it doesn't run, you know, there's somebody who wants that car. And that's really helpful to a person like me who can get overwhelmed and everything's get stuck and I can't plan anything unless I solve the problems right in front of my face. Toiletries. <laughs> Let's talk about toiletries. So a few months ago, I bought some good makeup. I've talked about that here before. It was such a big deal in my life. Finally, I've got like really good makeup. I'm wearing it now. How do you like it? Right. But I used to have just like the very cheapest stuff from Walgreens. Like I was putting stuff on my eyes that wouldn't even stay on my eyes and it was $5 and little splinters were getting in my eyes and it probably causes cancer. I don't know. It's what I had and it's what I was used to and it comes from growing up poor, but I'm at a point in my life where having the makeup be together and look nice and kind of stay on my eyes and not go running down is important to me. So I hired an expert um, and her name is Maria Riley. She's a makeup artist and I had hired her for professional video shoots that I used to run <laughs> before, but I hired her just for me. And she came and helped me and she showed me, you know, she told me what to buy and what makeup to get. And she taught me how to apply the makeup. And it was this really great day. It was kind of stressful. And I've, it just was a lot to learn for me. I never really knew, like I've, I airbrush my face with foundation. 
Yeah, right? <laughs> it's so, I didn't even know you could airbrush foundation onto your face, but it just looks better and I don't know, it looks great. So, <laughs> so I have a little airbrush and I have these little pods and you know, I have to maintain it all. I have to wash my brushes and it's this whole thing. But when Maria was sitting with me, showing me this, she goes, well, she said, first, you know, get out everything that you have right now. And so I showed her all my makeup and she was so cool and non-judgmental about my crappy old stuff. She's like, this nail polish, like I can't open it. I'm like, oh yeah, I bought that like in 1999 uh, to put my kid's initial on his toothbrush. <laughs> you know, it's a long time ago, you know, and it doesn't open anymore. And um, she said, okay, well, you could, anything that's like old and not usable anymore, you can just throw out. There was some stuff that was old and you could still use it, but now I had a new, better version of it, but it was halfway used makeup. And I was like, what can we do with this? Can we give it to somebody? She was like, no, that's, you can't give old makeup to people, throw it out. And so, you know, this part of me that's so thrifty, I can't stand throwing things out. I got used to it. It's like, I, I have better stuff now. I don't need this anymore. I'm truly not gonna use it anymore. And nobody else wants my 15 year old bronzer or and they definitely don't want my two-year-old mascara that's kind of dried out you know they don't want it it's unsanitary and it goes you just throw it out so that was kind of freeing for me and I noticed that a little bit of hoarding style was there that it that I had an emotional attachment like this was the make like makeup from 20 years ago like I was young back then I had little babies I was a, I was a new mom and by throwing out the stuff that belonged to me at that time and likewise with the pants I'm never going to fit into again you know it just was this idea of a time that I could go back to and I had to get it into my mind that it's okay it's okay to get rid of the belongings of that time because the way that we can revisit those times is looking at pictures, having memories, or really just living in the present and having a good time now. There's so many ways, you know, for example, that I'm more like a young person in my life now and that I'm lighter hearted. I feel more free spirited. I can have fun at a party. I don't sit there just like sour, feeling like everybody hates me. Like I'm kind of younger than I've ever been. So so it's okay, you know, not to have the belongings anymore. And I'm telling the pants from like 1999 and the big bell bottoms and stuff, I don't even want them anymore. <laughs> I can't button them. So, <laughs> so it's all good. So those I donated and, you know, God help the people who actually want to wear those old pants, but maybe they do. And I just trust that Goodwill will sort it all out and they, whatever should be recycled as fabric, they, they're going to take care of it and I can stop grieving it or anything but it's out of my closet. You know, whether it's sentimentality or fear of that you'll be in lack in the future or feeling done with it, but not having the inner power to, you know, just make the time and put it on your schedule and do it. Power is what you need. Whatever, whatever the step that you need to take is, the thing that's gonna propel you into that step is inner power. So I'm gonna talk about how to get that inner power within this video, but I just wanna cover clutter a little more. So let's go over the other dimensions of clutter that hold you back and keep you from feeling open to life and ready for good things to come in. All right, one of them is mental clutter. One thing I can say from my own experience of childhood PTSD is the stuff that I'm holding in my mind can get very crowded. And I'm sure there's some sort of problem with trauma that makes thoughts and ideas, you know, harder to sort and remember and process in a good way, you know, to move them along. And that clutter of the mind there, it, it makes it hard to focus. It makes it hard to prioritize things appropriately. 
And um, it makes it hard for me to notice that I have choices when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Like the world gets very, it gets very small. Like I, I'm just like, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so overwhelmed. There's nothing I can do. And then I bring that dysregulation down and I, the choices open back up again. So I rely heavily on to-do lists, timers, and calendars so that I can predict when I'm clear-headed what I need to be doing each day and then write down a plan. Now, I know not everybody is a planner. I am a planner. Plans help me get stuff out of my mind. I know if I write it down, I don't have to keep reminding myself, don't forget, don't forget, drop the rent, drop the rent. Now, I don't always stick to my plan. In fact, I almost never stick entirely to my plan because my plans are a little too ambitious, but I don't have to waste time throughout the day trying to figure out what I need to do next. I've already put them in ranked order priority of what I'm going to do. And I declutter my mind twice a day by doing my daily practice techniques, which helps me move, you know, fearful, resentful thoughts out of my mind and onto paper so that I have more of my mind available to actually like think and envision things and do things. And there's a link to my daily practice course down in the description section of this video and all my videos if you want to try it. It's free. Anybody can try it. And that's one way to find out if it helps you too to clear your mind is give it a try. Okay, then there's emotional clutter. And mostly by this, I mean old beliefs and resentments that once were true that you've been telling yourself and telling other people way past the expiration date. Like, did a boyfriend in high school make out with your best friend? Well, that happened to me. I only found out about it from the friend when I was an adult, and I had a good hard cry about it for 10 minutes, and I was really sad. And, and then for about four months, I couldn't let it go. I just couldn't let it go. <laughs> I was really resentful. Eventually, the friendship with the friend fell apart, not because of this directly, but I think that when the truth of the relationship came out, I don't know, it just didn't hold. We've been friends a long time. But what she did, I did think a little less of her, even though it was so, so long ago. I mean, it was literally back in the 70s. And, um, and we did drift apart. But now, I just, because of my daily practice, the emotions about it are just like, they're not there. There's, I have no tears about it at all. Like, I remember it. It's a fact. But I'm not carrying this emotional clutter, this resentment at her or this victimization like, oh, it could have been so great with this boyfriend if she hadn't come along. I have no illusions about that. It's Sometimes the hurtful things that happen are an indicator of the instability and ungoodness of the things in your life, the relationships in your life. And so we get emotionally cluttered sometimes when we hold on with that sort of shoulda, coulda, woulda thinking, or, um, you know, they really, I, you know, they owe me an apologize. I can't, I, I, apology, I can't let this go until they apologize. So we're sort of freezing stuff in amber emotionally, and it becomes an identity, right? And this was, these are some of the phases I've had to go through sometimes in healing. Like it was really healing for me at a certain point to go, you know what I am? I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. And that was like my whole thing for a while. And gradually I did a lot of healing around that and the, the things that go with that. And I also noticed that there's stuff going on with me that's a problem that has nothing to do with that. And to solve those problems, it helped me to free up and start going, I'm a person who has a lot of things. I've had some hard things. I've had some advantages. Um, I, I will always be an adult child of an alcoholic, but that is so not my primary identity anymore. I'm a person with complex PTSD, but I'm always telling people, your, your trauma 
is an injury, but it's not an identity. It's not what you are. And so carrying all this stuff, like this terrible stuff happened, I can never change. There are a few problems in life that actually can't be changed, right? Um, one example I use is um, losing a limb. You cannot get another limb, but you can get a workaround. You can often get a prosthetic that will help you do many things and your life can continue to blossom anyway. And so that's that is an uncluttered approach to dealing with life's hardship is not to carry it around forever. Like it's always going to take some time to deal with the grief and sadness and disappointment and anger of, of what has happened. But soon with healthy healing, it gets moved down the conveyor belt, down into the past space opens up again for new experiences, new relationships, and yes, new heartaches, new ones. <laughs> Life goes on. Emotional clutter also comes in the form of seeking out social media people you're obsessed with or seeking out news about things that make you angry. Like anger is the drug, like being different than, better than, disagreeing with, hateful towards some other kind of person. And that's a drug and that is clutter. Outrage is total emotional clutter. If the news you read isn't helping you be informed so that you can be more useful, um, it's clutter, all right? It's, it's emotional clutter and it's probably making you sick and it's probably getting passed on to other people and making their world difficult. I really urge you to pay attention and prioritize what is useful. So just like you would go through a drawer and keep the jeans that you still wear and get rid of the ones that you're never gonna wear, when you're consuming media, what is the stuff that's actually useful to you, like necessary for your job or truly entertaining and uplifting for you? Great. Um, I'm all for people being informed, but we are so far beyond like being informed anymore with the level of information that is designed to agitate us and clutter us up emotionally. And the consequence of that is a lot of division and isolation. And trust me, as a traumatized person, you don't need extra of that. So if your media consumption is causing you to feel separate from people, if it's causing you to feel turned against or victimized by people in a way that you didn't used to, then it's clutter. If it's helping you um, recognize a problem that you can solve or that you need to address, it's useful. That's basically the formula. Now, finally, emotional clutter can be the sad stories that, that we tell ourselves about stuff like, you know, I was the black sheep in my family and now I can never feel like I belong or I was rejected by my mom and I just can't have relationships. Those are things that I've believed about myself before. And thankfully, I got those out of the cupboard. I got those out of the cupboard and I made space for a new idea and a new experience to come in. And I get this a lot in, um, in the letters people write to me and somebody was writing in, you know, I spent years waiting for this girlfriend to get done with school and then she didn't, she didn't want me anymore and they felt wronged for all those years. And it had been years and years since it had happened and then now they could never have an education and I'm just gonna say, yeah, no, that sucks, but there was nothing stopping you from doing whatever you wanted to do with your life while you were in that relationship or now. And there are, there are certain relationships that stop you, that do stop people. Um, abusive relationships, coercive ones, being trapped in terrible poverty, being incarcerated. These are some reasons why people legitimately get stuck. But a lot of times this is learned helplessness. We're like the little bird in a cage, the door's open, but we never think to fly out. Those stories you tell yourself, this cage, I can never get out. 
They need to be questioned. You need to ask yourself, is that true? Is that true? Is there another way? What would happen if I walked out of the cage? And the circumstances of your life, I know it's going to include some things that are hard and some things that are easy, some things that are probably never going to be solved and some things that are just one second away, just one little decision away. And some things that are so massive that you don't really have control over them. But you start with the thing that you can do. You start with the thing right in front of you. People with CPTSD get overwhelmed and overwhelm is this feeling like I see a hundred things to do. Where do I even start? You just start with the thing in front of you. One thing that you can try right now is just take a fast, do a day where you don't talk about a certain problem anymore. You might even take a fast from thinking about it. It's, you know, you can't totally control your thoughts, but when you notice you're thinking it again, divert your thoughts to something else just for a day, just to teach yourself about that space that you actually do have within you where you're not consumed by this problem that happened, this this limitation that was put on you at one time. And just see if you don't, if there isn't like a little door in that cage. There's real life possibilities in front of you right now. And to see them, you might need to move past those hurts and let them recede into the past. And I, I, I keep promising you this. I will talk about how to do that, okay? But I want to talk about a couple more kinds of clutter. Relationship clutter. And I'm talking about all kinds of relationships. Friends, coworkers, family, people in the romantic category. If you have CPTSD, chances are you have a shortage of people with whom you feel safe and good and seen and heard who get you. And you have an abundance of people you don't like, you don't want to deal with, but you're forced to see them either because they live in the same building as you, or you feel obligated, or they work where you work, or it's, you have, you carry this thing like, I don't know, it's probably just me. I should keep putting up with this person who really makes me feel terrible because it's probably just me. That's a trauma thing. So relationship decluttering means you make space in your life to enjoy people with whom you have affinity. You like them, you feel good, you inspire each other, or you have a common purpose like you're working or raising children together. And you do this by gently removing people who don't really belong in your life anymore. It's better to have fewer people who are good for you than a whole bunch of people who just make you feel relationship cluttered. You don't have to have a great reason for, for stepping back from a relationship. It helps to have clarity though. And if you need clarity about who those people are, uh, my connection bootcamp talks about that. So you can check that out if you're interested. All right, finally, there's time clutter. And I think this one, you know what I'm talking about. That's where you, you take too much on. And this is the problem of over-functioners who get their need for approval and meaning met by saying yes to things and having accomplishments and having this sense of a very colorful, busy calendar. These can be good things, but if you're not having time for friends or exercise or learning or adequate sleep or healing your trauma, then your time is too cluttered. You need some space in your life that is unscheduled, that's unspoken for, and it's open for you to decide in the moment how you want to spend that, even if it's just sitting there staring at the wall, because it's in those down times that you can really recharge your batteries to get new ideas. You can make changes. You can do something really big with your life that you couldn't have done when you were chained up to other people's timelines and other people's agendas. And that's one of the functions of meditation is to, you know, to sort of schedule and bring in that quiet time for that new inspiration to come in. The thing is, when you stop being cluttered all over your life, openness does come and so does responsibility. And sometimes that urge to clutter up your mind 
your heart, your, your time, your home. It's a way to hold life away from you. It's covert avoidance is something I call that. Life is hard sometimes. It can be triggering. And for that, what you really want is boundaries and ability to make decisions and say no. But clutter, I believe, is a low-grade barrier to keep your life manageable. I'd actually put debt in that in that column too, like getting in debt, staying in debt. It's a way to hold life back. I see I have no choices. See, I have to stay stuck where I am because actually thinking about my next step is stressful. It's triggering. But that's not a good way to accomplish, you know, self-care and to treat that feeling of being overwhelmed and triggered all the way. The side effects of that it's isolation. It's, it's getting frozen in amber instead of growing and it's getting isolated and making everything in the end unmanageable. It gets more stressful, not less stressful when you shut life out. So even if you don't know what your next step is yet, consider just opening up to something better in your life because there's greatness in you and it needs room to breathe and grow beyond the trauma, beyond what was done to you in the past. And one way that you can begin to step into that good energy of change and growth is by decluttering. You can start where you are with just one closet or one thing on your calendar that needs to be taken off by ending a friendship that no longer serves you or by letting go of an old grudge that you held against someone that really is not going to change anything whether you have the grudge or not. When you make space in your life, some old trauma-driven feelings and thoughts are definitely going to surface. And so to keep your decluttering steady and sustained and not fall back into it or start piling things up again in every sense of the word, you'll need tools to help you face and release the friction that arises, the feelings that used to get stuffed down by your inability to take action, you know, push it down, you know, keep avoiding. So if you want to open up to this and be able to process those feelings that come up, one thing I recommend to you is to try my daily practice techniques. They are free, but you can learn the techniques in less than an hour and there's a whole bunch of FAQ videos to learn the fine points. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.